Hello, and welcome to another episode of Elm City Speaks, a podcast that explores stories of social justice and public service leaders in our community. I'm Dylan Campbell. I'm a junior here at Yale, and I'm a member of Dwight Hall's Urban Fellows Program. Through Urban Fellows, I've worked with an organization called Elm City International since fall 2019. Elm City Internationals, or ECI for short, uses soccer to create a supportive learning environment for low-income, predominantly immigrant and refugee, adolescent boys in New Haven. ECI ensures that each student-athlete matriculates to college and continues to support them through college graduation. In today's episode, we're speaking with Lauren Mednick, ECI's founder and executive director. Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Lauren was born and raised in New Haven, where she attended both public and private school. In doing so, she noticed a lot of disparities between the opportunities she received through her private school education versus those afforded to her friends, many of whom remained in public schools. One of the disparities were just like the expectations that were placed on you. Um, You know, where I went to school, the expectation wasn't if you were going to go to college. It was really what college you were going to go to and what you were going to study and really dedicate your adult life to. Um, Whereas the expectations at um, a lot of the public schools my friends attended were just, you know, congratulations if you graduate high school. Um, And, you know, I had a lot of kids friends and peers that never had the opportunity to go to college. A lot of them, you know, ended up in gangs. A lot of them ended up killed somewhere in jail. And yeah, and I think of the ones that did go to college, a lot of them didn't make it through college just because despite having A's at the schools that they were at, they weren't adequately prepared. The classes didn't necessarily prepare them for the big world. Lauren graduated from Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, and she then returned to New Haven, where she began her career as an educator while pursuing a graduate degree from NYU. So when I was back in New Haven, I was working for a um, an amazing organization that works with immigrants and refugees in New Haven, and they provide all kinds of services to make their transition as successful as possible. And the program that I was working for specifically was an after-school program to assist students with their academics. And I was teaching in a first and second grade classroom. The kids were amazing. Um, Every single day, though, there there were three seventh grade boys who had some behavioral difficulties in their own classroom. And their daily punishment was to get sent down to my class. And so I got to know these boys quite well, since I spent many hours with them every day. And magically... That like literally magically, we bonded over like one simple fact, and it was that we both had a passion for soccer. I had played soccer throughout college, um, and these three boys just played growing up in Guinea and Liberia. And so, yeah, like it was just crazy that you know, all of a sudden, these 13, 12, and 13 year old boys and I had this bond over something as simple as a soccer ball. And at the end of that year, the spring of that year. I decided to start a co-ed recreational fifth to eighth grade soccer team for the kids in that after school program. Um, And these three boys in particular were phenomenal soccer players, like just so talented. And more importantly, they, they just lit up on the soccer field. They were happy. They were confident and they were like the thing that blew me away most is that they were just helpful. Like, like I said, it was a recreational team for it was co-ed fifth to eighth grade and so there were some kids on the team that 
really weren't that good. They were learning for the first time. And these kids who honestly were, you know, they could have played at a much higher level were helpful to these fifth grade girls who were being introduced to sport for the first time. And so just seeing how empowering soccer was for them, it like just was the first time I saw them comfortable, the first time I saw them confident. And like the first time that I think, I mean, it's not fair for me to say this because I'm not them, but they just seemed to feel like they fit in and were where they belonged. And, you know, the adults weren't reprimanding them. They were kind of saying, wow, like, look at these leaders. Um, and so that's really how it all started. I guess there are lots leading to how it all started. Um, the end of that year there. Oh, and one more thing I do want to say, they actually would also seek me out after school now to help um, with their homework. Um, and not as punishment, they weren't getting sent to me anymore. They would ask for help. So that was like another big, big turning point was just like, okay, and now they care about their grades just because they, you know, they feel like their life has meaning again, or again, I'm, I might be generalizing or simplifying, but yeah. So anyway, the end of that academic year, the academic program I had worked for was discontinued. And these three boys, I just did not want to see them slip through the cracks. And so I was young at this point. I was just turning 22. And I may have been naive, but I was talking to the boys and I asked them a quick question, like kind of on the fly. It was just like, so do you want to continue playing soccer? I actually asked them two questions. Do you want to continue playing soccer? And do you want to go to college? And the answer to both of those questions were yes and yes. And I basically said, well, if you come to me a minimum of three days a week to work on your academics, I will make sure that I find you a soccer team that you could continue to play on. And I will make sure that you go to college. They were 13. So I was like, oh my goodness, I just made a nine-year commitment. I don't even know where I'm going to be tomorrow, um, but I don't break my promises. And so I had to figure out a way to make it happen. And that's how ECI started a couple weeks later. <laughs> so Those boys were ECI's first three participants. And Lauren quickly recruited nine more from the resettlement agency and from New Haven Youth Soccer. Just like that, Lauren had founded ECI and she was committed to ensuring that these 12 and 13 year old boys went to college. Now that you know how ECI began, you might be wondering, what does ECI do specifically? And what challenges in New Haven schools is ECI working to address? In terms of some local statistics, I know as of 2013, um, there was a study done that showed that, and these numbers are an approximation because I am doing this from memory right now, that I think it was something like 60% of kids in the New Haven public schools went to either a two-year or a four-year college right after school. And within six years of high school graduation, only 22% of the kids that actually went to college graduated from either a two or a four-year college. Yes. And so to me, that's numbers are quite alarming. Um, I think what alarms me most is you know, not the numbers of kids going to college, but the number of kids who start college um, versus the number who finish it. Um, because it's like, you know, like a large percentage of the kids are saying, this is what I want to do. And then there are barriers because they're not necessarily prepared. Sometimes it's, I think the majority of the times it is academics, but there are also other barriers, financial barriers. A supportive, challenging, and individualized learning environment is at the cornerstone of ECI's academic programming. 
we create an environment where like the kids know that after, you know, after high school, like they're going to fulfill their dreams. Um, and usually like in UCI, it is going to college. We've had a couple, two kids to be precise that have wanted to do technical school. And that's just as amazing as long as they're following their goals, but, um, so technical school after high school graduation. Um, but yeah, so we just have this college going culture, like the same way that I did when I went to my prep school, like where it's just the expectation is that you're going to work hard and you're going to go to a school where you can work towards your goals. And so that's like the first piece. And the second piece is we have a very rigorous academic curriculum that really it's catered to individual students' abilities. And the the bar is set high for, you know, like some of our students, the bar is set high, like as high as a lot of the top private schools in the area. And then a lot of our students also have individual needs that need to be met. A lot of kids have learning disabilities or post-traumatic stress syndrome. And for them, like the goals are very individualized, but they're always, we're always making sure that they're improving in all academic and social areas. Another key component of ECI's academic programming is its socially conscious reading and writing curriculum. And, you know, the real goal of UCI is we want the, I want the kids to be successful, however you define success, but I also just want them to be good people <laughs> when it comes down to it, socially conscious humans. Um, and so our reading and writing curriculum, we really focus on social justice issues. Um, so for a couple of reasons, number one, like I want, you know, these, my, a lot of my boys are more um, aware of just what's going on in the world because of their own experiences um, from where they come from, where their parents come from. But yeah, we really do focus on books that surround social justice issues. Um, and we also really do a lot of community service with the kids. Um, and we also like do a lot of historical context within the books just so that we're kind of sneaking in another subject and they're learning a little more than just reading or writing. Most of the books definitely have um, a deeper meaning and there's a lot of thought put into the curriculum that we choose. As an example, I asked Lauren to speak about Dear Martin by Nick Stone. She and the boys read this together last spring, my first full semester with ECI. February, March, right before quarantine, we were reading um, a book called Dear Martin, which really touched on many issues, but I mean, it touched on issues from racial profiling to police brutality to just generalized racism and educational expectations. Um, you know, it's funny, like there are some parallels to ECI in the book where it talks a lot about the disparities between where the kids in the inner city that the main character took place of, like what their trajectory was versus the main character who had, you know, grew up in a very difficult neighborhood who ended up in a private school and then ended up at Yale. Ultimately, that being said, it wasn't an easy path for him. He was, he was shot by a police officer as a prep school student who was just admitted to Yale. That just kind of shows how, you know, the color of your skin um, really does dictate your success in so many ways and the way people look at you. And the boys were really able to identify with that book in many ways. And, you know, they read it right before the huge movement that really started more in April and May, um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so that, that what the timing wasn't intentional, but it's, 
important issue, many important issues. And just listening to their perspectives, I often learn more from listening to them than they do from reading the book or listening to me. And I think that's the most important. They're coming up with their own opinions and their own views and tying in their own experience, whether it's like something that happened to them or their parents or a friend or something they saw on TV. Um, But it just makes them think and it's just something that feels relevant to them and kind of makes them, I think, enjoy reading a little bit more. (laughs) So, As the boys grow older, ECI gives them extensive support through the college exploration and application process. It's a big process. I mean, it really starts the day they come into ECI in middle school um, in terms of the process of just getting them acclimated with the idea that they're going to go to college just like their older ECI brothers did. And um, from day one, pretty much, they go and they watch the older ECI students playing soccer on their college campuses and then they take tours. So like, you know, that's really where it starts with just this like comfort level and just this expectation of this is where I'm going to be. In addition to like the day they start, they start with this very rigorous reading and writing program that's preparing them to succeed. But in terms of the actual process, once they're in 10th grade, really, I mean, in ninth grade, we expose them to campuses, but we've really been doing that since middle school. 10th grade, um, we really sit down and think about what kind of school would be best for them. Although that could change, like (laughs) there's a long time between 10th grade and, you know, when they're really going through the process. But I mean, one of the big pieces is once we've identified a list of potential schools, a long list, um, we make sure that they are number one seen by those soccer coaches, um, because that's a big part of the the process. And, you know, it's like we actually we don't necessarily push soccer scholarships, to be honest, but it's very like when there is a person on campus advocating for a student, um, especially a student that's in an underrepresented school, like it really it helps the the process um, and it helps the kids feel like they belong. So yeah, like the first goal is to get them seen so that there are coaches that are excited about recruiting them and the kids feel connected Um, and also connecting them with admissions and financial aid um, officers on campus who also would be huge advocates throughout the process. And we take the kids individually um, on college trips. Um, You know, the only time we do big trips with like the whole group of high school students or middle school students is when we're specifically going to watch the older kids play soccer or do an activity with the older kids. But when we're actually doing the college process, it's kind of very mom and pop, like the individual, like we will just take the kids that are interested in that specific school to that campus. It's a very individual, individual process um, where the kids really kind of learning about themselves and what they want um, and then meeting key people on campus and just seeing where they click, where they connect and, yeah, so that's really how it starts. And by usually the summer before their senior year of high school, they're verbally committed to a school and they apply, most of our kids, the majority, vast majority, apply early decision one to their school of choice. ECI also gives financial support to its student athletes throughout this process. We do have our own college scholarship fund, which which feels like in-gap funding. So like we help our kids get fairly substantial scholarships and financial aid but like there's always not always but there's usually a gap still and so we uh, fundraise to fill those gaps for the students so that the financial burden has taken off. After its student athletes matriculate to college ECI stays with them and provides college follow-through support. 
we follow the kids till they graduate college and provide any support if they need academic support we make sure that they know what channels to go through to make sure they're getting all the you know utilizing their resources on their campus lauren touches base with each student at least once a week but she's often in contact with each of them several times a day it's really self-guided in college we're there for them we check in and stay in constant contact and help them pay so 100% of our kids um, have now graduated college within four and a half years of high school graduation. Each ECI student's love for soccer, which Lauren shares, ties all of this together. Soccer helps the boys adjust to college life. Soccer is the tool that gets them coming to us. And so like where that plays a role in college is the majority. By majority, I would say 96% of them have played soccer in college. And so that actually creates a family for them right away in college. Like when they're in UCI, we're their family. When they go to college, they have this soccer team that's essentially their family. And before college, soccer also keeps the boys engaged in academics. Mostly it's not a requirement, but 90% of the time, they're also soccer players um, who could connect through soccer, who could play soccer with them during our, our soccer sessions. So again, like to me, we're not a soccer program. They don't like it when I say that. They're phenomenal soccer players, all of them. But for me, it's really the tool that keeps them coming. And I mean, like you could say lots of things like soccer is an international sport. Um, and, you know, most of our kids come from countries where soccer is the most popular sport. Um, but to me, like, I don't like looking at necessarily the big picture. I like looking at our kids and for our kids, they all love soccer and it's what gets them out of bed in the morning, what gets them excited to come to us and why I think our model works. Next, I asked Lauren to tell us about some of her favorite moments and memories from running ECI and working with the kids. So this, I don't know why, this just popped, I have so many. And for some reason, this image just popped into my mind. Um, I guess it just speaks loud to me because it just shows the, one of my favorite parts is how our older kids motivate our younger kids. And they just have these built-in role models, these older brothers, and they want to follow their lead. At this point, I should probably explain the structure of ECI's cohorts. ECI works with one cohort of 10 to 15 boys at a time, typically starting around early middle school. ECI sticks with them all the way through college graduation, but they usually recruit the next cohort once the current one begins nearing the end of high school. They call these cohorts generations. Currently, ECI is on generation three. One of our students was in the backseat of my car. He was in sixth grade at the time. And another one of my students who was a senior in high school called me um, and he was on the Bluetooth. So everyone in the car could hear there's only one kid in the car, but he called and it was a week before he was supposed to get his college decisions. Um, so I wasn't really expecting anything. I usually like call them like, okay, you have to check in one minute. Like I know exactly, but for whatever reason, the school did it like a week early and he calls and he tells me that he just got accepted to Wesleyan University, which was like his dream school. And like, <laughs> I got embarrassed for a hot second because I started crying. I'm driving and I have the sixth grader in my car and the, the younger boy, like, I don't think he quite understood the meaning, but I just remember like 
kind of saying, I'm sorry, like to the kid in my car. Well, obviously congratulating the kid and all that, but just remember turning around to the younger kid and saying, just look at me right now. And this is how like, I will look when you call me and tell me this in six years. So I feel like that kind of moment just like sums up so much. But I would say my favorite moments and I complain about this all the time, but you know, we drive the kids in our van to programming and it takes many hours. But I think my favorite moments are just being in the car, two favorite things. One, being in the car with them and just getting to, like getting to know them. I don't have the responsibility to teach them in that moment. Like just kind of really get to know them, which I think is what guides you know, the college process so well. And the second thing I really love is college essays with the boys and this like them kind of really thinking about themselves and discovering about them things about themselves and me seeing them in a new way. Um, and yeah, I just, I love that process as well. Um, but I just love, yeah, there's no way to sum it up. Just like getting to know each kid individually is the best part. Yeah. And I don't know if you could hear it in my voice. Like I start crying, like every time I tell the story. Um, and yeah, I think um, I was talking to the younger boys now. So the one who was getting the acceptance is now in, um, he's a senior <laughs> graduating in a, like a semester and the younger ones in 10th grade. And like, we were talking, I was talking with my 10th grader about this story the other day and he, he remembers it. And he was like, in like two and a half years, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you cry, Laura. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> in the past year during the pandemic, ECI's work has not stopped. It has remained committed to its students and taken some incredible steps to continue supporting them. When the pandemic first hit and we were, everyone was under strict stay at home orders, I think one of the hardest things for me was not being in actual physical contact with the kids. Um, and so we did adapt our programming um, and did online programming from March through June, where every day, um, this was actually entertaining. We did soccer on Zoom for an hour every day and then book club. And so by soccer Zoom, it was more like aerobics with a soccer ball. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it was just nice to, I feel like for the kids and for me, <laughs> to be honest, to have something to, you know, look forward to every day to stay connected. And in terms of our academic curriculum, um, like our book club, it was really, we were just very basic. We we're just reading and then having discussions about the book. We have some writing assignments, but just keeping them connected and keeping their academic skills going. Um, and then summer came and we again had to adapt. We typically have our full-time summer academy where the kids are all with us every day from seven in the morning till four in the afternoon. And while we were allowed to be together again, like we had to take a lot of safety precaution. Um, and so we completely adapted and again, tried to have to like make the best of kind of a awkward, like tough situation. Um, and so instead of doing our normal programming, like we did play soccer together, it was allowed by then. Um, but in terms of our academic programming, which is usually inside, we usually use Wi-Fi and we're usually all together all day. We broke it up into groups of two to four. So the only time the kids were all together was for soccer. Um, and then we did academic programming with smaller groups and each kid had one tutor um, and they were all outside the whole time. Um, we didn't use Wi-Fi or anything, which actually is almost a relief. And we decided 
to really focus on writing. Cause like how often, like when we're in the big group, we do a lot of writing. I would say it's fairly equal though, reading, analyzing and writing. Um, but here um, is the first time where our focus wasn't writing about the reading and just really working on the semantics, the structure of writing because the kids had this amazing opportunity of being with one adult this whole summer, like for every hour they were with us. So they did have less time with us. Like they were probably with us on average four hours a day instead of about nine hours a day. But the time they were with us for academics, um, it was much more focused on them. And like, I just saw a lot of growth in their writing just because it was much more individualized. Um, and then as school started, um, so New Haven was one of the only districts in the state not to go back physically to school, at least at a, even at a hybrid level. And so again, um, I just worried a lot of my kids were disengaged from school in the spring and there's only so much I could do. So we actually did open like a remote academy for the kids. So kids can opt into working with us during the day. We provide them with a place that has reliable internet and also access to an individualized tutor um, they are completely socially distanced. And what I'm finding for some of our students is that they're excelling and making more gains now. Again, not because that their teachers aren't doing a great job, but because of the ratios. Like we're able to provide them with an individual tutor while they're doing this. So when they have questions, they have someone helping them versus when they're in a classroom, they have between 20 and 30 kids in their class and one teacher. So even with the most amazing teacher, you can't meet all of their needs. So ironically, um, some of, I think our students who struggle the most in the big classroom are making the most gains through this model. Um, whereas I think our kids that thrive more in a traditional academic setting that just you know, academics and focus comes easier for them. I think they're itching to go back to school, but I think for some of our kids, this model is just really something to take advantage of, <laughs> so. With the constantly evolving nature of the pandemic, it's difficult to predict what this semester will bring. One thing is for sure though, whatever it is, ECI will continue to be there for its students through thick and thin. Everyone, this has been Lauren Mendick, the founder and executive director of Elm City Internationals here in New Haven. Lauren, thanks again for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. For any listeners interested in supporting ECI, you can best do so by spreading the word and contributing to fundraising efforts if you're able. ECI's largest fundraiser occurs during the Great Give, New Haven's annual community-wide fundraising event. This year, the Great Give is scheduled for May 4th and 5th. Pre-pandemic, ECI also welcomed volunteer tutors and mentors from the community. And once things become safer, ECI looks forward to welcoming them again. To express interest, reach out to me. My email is dylan.campbell at yale.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elm City Speaks podcast. Take care. Thank you.